At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. Wow. We are in a series, uh, it's all about overflow, and I'll tell you what, these guys, when they minister in music, doesn't it just overflow in your spirit? It's amazing. Look at this, the kids are already leaving, I just started. It's perfect. <laughs> well, happy Mother's Day. I've got a verse for you today. It's in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 22, starting in verse 2. It says, 40 and two years old was Ahaziah when he began to reign. And he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Athaliah, the daughter of Amri. And he walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. Happy Mother's Day! <laughs> that is just such an unusual scripture. I was talking with uh, uh, Liam this morning, and I said, Good morning, Liam. Did you wish your mom a happy Mother's Day? He said, Yeah. I said, She's an awesome mom, isn't she? And he said, Yeah. And then I was talking to Joe, you know, um, uh, Joe Johnson, and I said, You know, we live in a culture where everybody's blaming their mom for everything, right? Kids in their 20-somes, they're like, they're rejecting their parents. And I said, you know, parents did the best they can with us. Mom did the best. And Joe said, or they did um, as much as they wanted to do. And we started laughing about that too. But God loves mothers. God's got a mother's heart because he created that within our mothers. So Father God has a mother's heart. That's pretty amazing. Another great scripture about moms in such a beautiful light is in 2 Kings chapter 22. Josiah was only eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jedidiah. And uh, the daughter of Adiah, of, uh, and, and it goes on to say, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father. I was thinking this morning, the future of the kingdom of God is cradled in the arms of mothers. Let's give moms a big applause today as Christian women. Oh my gosh. They have the mother's heart by nature and then they have that anointing from God to raise up a godly seed. And we're looking at overflow today. And this idea of overflow is so picturesque, you know, when it comes to thinking about moms, because they overflow with love continually in their homes. Well, our overflow idea is looking at the abundance of God and how beautiful it flows out from him to each of us. In 1953, a guy named Charles Irwin Wilson uh, was the president of GM. This was during World War II. And President Eisenhower, how many of you were alive in 53? Oh my gosh. I'm the only two people. Okay. <laughs> well, in 1953, Eisenhower saw that this guy did such a great job that he appointed him to the position of Secretary of Defense. 
And so this man was very affluent. He had a lot of money. His children had a lot of money. And he had a granddaughter who grew up in affluence. And she wrote a book called The Golden Ghetto that details the psychology of what she called affluence, but she also called it affluenza, kind of a disease of affluence. And in this book, her name was Jessie O'Neill, she pointed to the fact that as human beings, there's something within us that always wants more. Right now, can you think of something that you want more of? You can. What did you say? Time. Whoa, yes. We would love to defeat the clock, right? I'd like that this morning so I could preach the everlasting gospel. No, my wife's going to let me know when time's up today, so we're all good. More time. Who would like more money? Anybody? Yes, okay. Three honest people. Good, okay. Uh, it is springtime. How many of you are going to plant flowers? Yeah. So I looked out in my yard this morning. I looked out this way, and I saw a lilac bush. And then I looked this way, and I saw a few potted plants, and I thought, I have to turn my head from here to there. What I want in the state of affluenza, I want the abundance of flowers just everywhere. I want to see color popping out all over the place. So I have to actually control myself that I don't go crazy with planting too much. You know, those of you who have a fast car, there's something wrong with your car because it could be a little faster if you just had a little more money to buy that one. You see what I'm saying? There's something that we want. And in her book, Jessie O'Neill labels this affluenza, this ever dissatisfaction, discontentment for where we are with rampant materialism and a sense of insufficiency in what we have. And I think it's good for us to recognize this today. Not only as a problem, but with the idea that God has made us to want. He has created us with this, I want, I need, I need. And I'll give you the end of the message at the beginning and then unfold it so that we know where we're going. We're in a place where we recognize I need, I want. And as many times as we, as we have gotten exactly what it is we wanted, we realize that after a while, it didn't really satisfy the deepest desire and the deepest need. And so God today would love to turn our hearts back to him as we look at this overflow or even deeper with a more passionate pursuit of who he is and what he has for us. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So affluenza. I believe the Holy Spirit would vaccinate us today, as it were, against this kind of spiritual disease that is permeating our culture, especially in America, as written by Jesse O'Neill. I want to read you a story. In the Canterbury Tales, Geoffrey Chaucer wrote the story of three young men who discovered that their friend had been slain 
by death. So the men decided that they were going to go and find death, and once they found him, they were going to kill him. On their journey, they came across an old man who told them that death could be found under an oak tree, and he points them toward that tree. They made it to the tree, but they didn't find death. Instead, they found three bags of money just waiting for them. Three sacks of gold, and unexpectedly, they met greed. And in their excitement, they forgot all about death and decided to wait until nightfall so that each could carry their share of the treasure away. While they waited, one of them goes to town to get them all something to eat and drink. Now, while he's going to get the food, the other two kind of conspire and think, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We're only going to get a third? If we kill him, when he comes back, we could split the treasure in half. So the guy who went to town to get food started thinking, if I could get rid of those two guys, I don't have to split it three ways. I can get it all to myself. So while he was buying food, he bought some bread, some cheese, a variety of things. He bought some wine. He also bought some rat poison. And he put the rat poison in their wine. So when he brought the food back, they ate, they were happy to eat, and they drank the wine stricken or laden with the rat poison. However, before they ate, the two men stabbed the guy to death. So now the two were glad they could split it, but then they drank and they died. The end of the story is that they met death under that tree. They met greed, and it turned to their own demise, and they all died. Affluenza leads to greed, and it leads to death. All three of them set out to defeat death, and instead it had defeated them. And don't we all, like the person who said time today, wouldn't we love more time? You know, death has been defeated by Jesus Christ. And we have time in eternity. And for the short time that we are here, God has given, he has entrusted to us from his overflow in our pockets with money, in our homes, with all of the luxuries of life that we can imagine, and he's looking to us to use the abundance of his blessings to grow his kingdom. And so, and that will last absolutely forever. It is in our DNA to covet and to want more. And I believe that the, deep, deep down, the thing that we're really looking for the only thing that will really satisfy is more of Jesus. Raise your hand if you've experienced that to some degree in your life. Jesus satisfies. He satisfies every desire because every other purchase in life, every other endeavor leads, should lead us to finding him in new and deeper and greater ways. God's spiritual overflow produces natural blessings in our lives. And those natural blessings can be turned into spiritual blessings in the lives of others. So I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about how we make up games in life that really are illustrations of our true life, okay? So how many of you played this game before? 
Monopoly, isn't it fun? You get to buy, you get to sell, right? You collect rent, you get to do community service. It's an incredible game. Now, I want to ask you a question. I think I have some money in my, but here's some, here's some Monopoly money. I only took the big bills because those are the ones we like the most, right? All right. Now, here's, here's a 20. Look at this. All right. Here we have a $20 bill. And over here I have $500, $650. Which would you like, the $650 or the 20 <laughs> Of course, the 20 Oh, you want it all. Okay, good. Let me ask you this. When you stand before God, how much will these matter? This one will be just as valuable as this one. This one will be just as worthless as this one. However, two-thirds of the parables talk about finances. So how we handle our money is really important. So if I open this box, you would find houses, hotels, a get-out-of-jail card free, community service cards. But at the end of this life, this board, this board and everything in the box goes back in the box. I was thinking about it. Everything in life of value goes back in the box. And you know the final box? What is the final box? It's a coffin. It all goes back into the box the box is put away, and you know what they say? 70 years after an average person has left this planet, there's nobody left on the planet to remember them. 70 years after they're dead. That's the average. Doesn't that make you want to do something that is going to last forever? Something of incredible value with the time that God has given to us while we're living on this earth. God gives so that we can invest in others, so that we can invest in the kingdom of God, so that whatever we do now has absolute everlasting value. I was thinking about Jesus the day that he went into the temple area and he saw all the tables set up and he tipped over those, those tables. He flipped the tables. Isn't that just like the kingdom of God? These are the men and women who turned the world upside down. What if God was able today, and we know he is, to flip our concepts of finances so that when we look at money, we don't see what we can, how we can contribute to our affluenza, but we see how we can take that and turn it into something of everlasting value. And honestly, today, as we move through this message, it is not about your bank account. It is not about how many dollars you have in your pocket or your credit card or your investments or your portfolio. It is really about our hearts and how we view the extravagant abundance with which we have been blessed. So that every one of us leave today with this notion, this solid idea that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ and that the money bags that we have, by the way, do you belong to Christ today? Raise your hand if you belong to Christ. Amen. Raise your hand if your car belongs to Christ today. I thought so. Raise your hand if your 
living room furniture belongs to Jesus today. Amen. Raise your hand if your bank accounts belong to Jesus today. Right? So it's all his anyhow. I, I, I heard one preacher say we must live with Teflon fingers so that none of it sticks to us. So how are we to spend, spend our lives? Because the clock is ticking. So we're going to look at two concepts today. Number one, trust God's all-sufficiency. And number two, pursue the deeper fruit of giving. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 8 through 10. And it says, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, you may abound in every good work. In other words, he's given us everything so we can do his good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. What a verse. What a, what a group of verses. He's talking about the all-sufficiency of God being poured into us. And then he's talking about us planting and sowing, and he mentions your righteousness is directly connected. Now, Paul is writing to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were a, a lively church. They had a lot going on. And he's writing to them, and he's talking to them about making a collection, all right? And we're not going to have a special offering at the end of service, so we're all good, okay? But he's talking about making a collection at the Corinthian church to supply the needs that are happening in Jerusalem. Now, the Jewish church of Jerusalem was Jewish, and he's talking to the Gentiles. He's crossing ethnic boundaries here. It's an amazing thing that's going on. And so he appeals to this Corinthian culture because their idea of status had everything to do with honor. They wanted to be honored, all right? It's kind of a Middle Eastern and Asian mindset. Honor is very, very important. And they, they want to turn away from shame. So Paul is using these concepts of their current culture. Now, our culture has more to do with individualism. You know, it's all about me. We live in a me generation, a selfie, you know, photo-taking kind of a generation. But Paul uses the concept of that culture, and then he uses it in a way that is very biblical. And if you listen, I, when I read these portions of Scripture, I can hear Paul speaking with a, an accent and an attitude that has to do with commerce. He says, I know that you're ready. He's setting them up. I know you've got everything it takes, and I know that you are ready. In chapter 9 and verse 2, he says, I've built up your honor by boasting about your generosity to these people in Macedonia. He says, I've already told everybody that you're awesome. You know, it's kind of like Woodside Elginac's reputation in our community, you know. Again, just the other day, the National Day of Prayer, people are like, your church is demonstrating what it means to pour out in our community. And it is amazing. The testimonies from outsiders about who we are because of our generosity. Paul writes to him, he goes, 
you have inspired other people. He says, I know you're not going to embarrass me. <laughs> He's kind of putting this pressure on them. You're not going to shame yourself by not following through because you have promised to meet the needs of our community. I know that you've been giving out of the movement of God in your church and not out of compulsion. Paul's saying, I'm not talking you into anything. However, I know that you don't want to be ashamed, so I know you're going to give. I know you're going to pour in because that church at Jerusalem is needy at this time, very needy. Could you put up that slide of um, that scene in Mexico for me? I think it's our next slide. Yeah, so I took a missions trip some time ago with a group of students to Mexico, and we visited the community that lives in this garbage dump. And I've, I'm taking kids from my school. It's a wealthy school. Uh, I can't tell you what the average income is, but I know that their homes are like mini mansions. The parking lot at the school has Maseratis, Vets, Cadillacs, Lincolns, all kinds of, yeah, you just know. I took my kids to this place so that they could see, they could experience the overflow of God. Because in this place, their eyes saw poverty and their hearts saw very poor people who were happy. These people were free of affluenza. My kids left. Uh, next slide, please. My kids left asking questions. The debriefing that night put them in a place of great quandary. It's like, how can this happen? I'm upset because I dropped my iPhone and there's a little nick in the aluminum around the edge. And my earbuds aren't working quite right. And they saw these kids so happy. See this lady? She can live anywhere she wants. She has chosen to live on this garbage dump. She knows Jesus Christ is her savior. And she knows that the poor and the destitute people in this town in Mexico, I don't remember the name, would come to this place and she would preach Jesus to them. And her little garbage dump community were filled with the overflow of God's love, his joy, his peace, his righteousness. And these people took upon themselves the ministry of salvation, bringing the gospel message to everybody in their community. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's what we want to look at and emulate. Let's move on. Let's take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 8. See, all grace. This is so beautiful. Paul moves away from an appeal to their honor and moves to the appeal based on God's character. God is able to make grace abound to you. We want that to soak in today, that God's grace has abounded toward us. He has given us so much so much in our lives. We're living in a land of tremendous wealth. And, uh, you know, I just want to pause for a moment here. Because I don't want anybody in this room right now to think for one minute that this message has anything to do with how much money you have or how much money you give. It's not about that. This message is about our hearts. And pastor prayed at the beginning, Lord, touch our hearts. 
Because when we're gone, funny money, monopoly money, or real money will not matter. And I keep speaking to my soul these words. How much will it matter for eternity, no matter what I'm facing? It means so much to me right now, whatever it is I'm facing, but how much will it matter in the day I meet God? And it brings everything into perspective. So I don't want there to be a tension, you know, concerning your finances. We prayed about how much to give. Everybody prayed. What do we give to the build out here? And I remember we were over in 421, and I had a number in my head. We prayed. I had a number. We came over here. We prayed. Ah, the number totally changed. God spoke. And because he spoke, it made me happy. Raise your hand if you want to be happy. Yep, the biblical term is blessed. And those who give are blessed. But it's not about your money. There are people in this family who give their time. They give their energy to the details of doing everything that they do with an exuberance because they have been so abundantly blessed. And that's what we want. We want to see how God has poured into us and then he wants to use us just like he poured out. He wants us to be like him and pour out whatever it is, time, energy, to build the kingdom of God. Because he put us here for a purpose. Amen? You are here to accomplish his will. And so he's poured out to you so you can receive it and you can pour it out again. And we're just vessels. We're clay pots that he pours in and he pours out. He pours in and he pours out. It's really exciting. Very exciting. He has made us this way. He's built us. He's made us strong. He sustains us every day. He's chosen us. He calls us his own. He's bought us with a price. He helps us to hear and to see who he is in our daily lives. He saved us through the sacrifice and the victory in his own life. And so he wants us to walk in that same kind of a way. His grace has abounded to every single one of us. Paul wants us to recognize this grace and our all-sufficiency in everything so that we are free to give out. I want to go back to this idea of affluenza because we have this sense of want and we need to simply direct that in the way that God has chosen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 9 says this. It says that because of the cause of God is forever righteousness, and the effect is that the poor receive freely. So there's this connection between being righteous and giving. You can't buy righteousness with your giving. It is simply the evidence of your righteousness. And so in verse 10, it says, Paul, please, he pleads there in verse 10. He says that God gives seed. And the Corinthians sow what they've been given. You know, and, and he says they have the chance to be like God by giving lavishly uh, to the needs of others. And so it is in our lives. He talks about righteousness. His righteousness has directly to do with giving. In verse 9, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And so that is something that we can do. Giving actually produces fruit that lasts forever. 
all right? In the Old Testament, righteousness has this idea of behavior. But in the New Testament, God says he imputes his righteousness to us by faith. But we know that faith without works is dead. People who give under the anointing of God, he rejoices in the evidence of the righteousness. So don't decide today, I'm going to give so that I can be righteous. No. Acknowledge the righteousness that God calls you. He calls you righteous, and he calls you to be righteous, and then out of your being comes the manifestation of righteousness, which is evidenced through giving. It's an amazing truth in God's word. So first off, we give ourselves to God and all the stuff he's given to us. And then secondly, we use that to further the kingdom of God. We are always rich enough to be generous. Always rich enough to be generous. We find living in a world where sometimes we lose perspective. And you know, I really... You know, I, I showed you slides. I mean, I did not show you some slides this morning because there were slides of little children who were dressed very poorly. And, you know, those kinds of images, I feel like in some ways we exploit the poor with photos that tug at our hearts. You know, in a, in a cerebral way, we uh, acknowledge that. But I believe God wants to speak you know, directly to us so that it's not about taking care of that need. It's about taking care of our need to give. How many of you watch HGTV? Anybody? Yeah. You know, they're always blowing out a wall, right? They're always like lifting a ceiling. That program is like a catalyst for my effluenza. I just want to blow out the ceiling in the, the, the nook area, make it, you know... Um, cathedral ceiling and then bust out that wall and they had a greenhouse, right? And have to fight those things. Have to fight those things. A faster car. Lottery winners. You know, they're always, you know, a bigger car. You know, people in other countries kind of don't understand the concept of a garage. They think, oh, you have a house for the people and then another house for the car. Isn't that funny? A house for your car. We have a room that we sleep in, and how many of you have a walk-in closet? Like you walk in the closet? Okay. We have a whole room for our clothes. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. It's wild. Today, I don't know, some of you are going to eat at home, some of you are going out to dinner, right? And we, have, we, we might pass, I don't know, if you're heading out that way, you're going to pass, like, I don't know how many restaurants, you know, at the corner of 23 Mile and, and Gratiot. I mean, there's no end to what we have. It's an amazing world, you know, uh, that we live in. We're in incredibly rich, incredibly rich. Christians who are righteous demonstrate through their wealth the kingdom of God. Listen to these statistics. They're not happy, but they're real. Nationally... Christians give approximately 2.5% of their income. 2.5%. During the Great Depression, like one my parents grew up in, Christians were giving 3.3% during the Great Depression. It's amazing. 
approximately only 5% of churchgoers tithe to the local church. I mean, 10% is not a magic number. You won't even find it in the New Testament because the whole tenor of the New Testament is that we'll give our all. And that exceeds whatever you know, numbers might be there because we are led by the law of the spirit of life in Christ. It's amazing. Luke, uh, in Luke chapter 21, it says that the widow gave two small coins. It's worth about one-fourth of a penny. That was both of them together, one-fourth of a penny. She trusted God in God's all-sufficiency for her life. Again, we are always rich enough to be generous. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake he made him uh, to be sin who knew no sin. In other words, Jesus, who had all of, shared all the glory of God in heaven, made himself of no reputation. He came here to be just like us. He gave of himself, who knew no sin. He became sin so that the righteousness of God would be poured out upon each one of us. It's wonderful. Absolutely, we're living in the abundance of God's grace and also our material wealth. The big question is, are we rich in faith toward God today? God has provided for us spiritually, so he wants us to share his perspective for how to use our material wealth in this world. Paul's not promoting a prosperity doctrine or a prosperity gospel when it comes to material things. But he is promoting a prosperity gospel in a spiritual sense. So that if we ask God for more, so that we can contribute more, right? If we ask God for more concerning our giftedness, more opportunities to use us as his tools the way he's designed us, then he'll surely do that and prosper us in a spiritual sense. It's amazing how God works that way. Ask and we receive. So how can we become more Christ-like in our giving? Our second point is pursue the deeper fruit of giving. The deeper fruit of giving. In 2 Corinthians 9, 11, he says, and you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving. All right? For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. For by their approval of the service, they will glorify God. And God, uh, because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. In other words, because we give, because we pour into other people's lives. I was looking at you this morning. And I was, I was thinking about how each of you have given in this place. Some will put on a fundraiser. What? The community is blessed. Some will show up and will renovate a park again. And the community is blessed. And thanksgiving goes up to God. Some have given food to those who were in need during COVID. And the whole community is blessed. The kingdom is built. The kingdom started because Jesus Christ gave. God so loved that he gave. How about us? We so love that we give. 
Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Wherever you give, it demonstrates your life. My wife and I have had to go through all of the belongings of five of our deceased relatives. To really know where their hearts were, all we had to do was look at a spreadsheet, a checking accounts. Where did they spend their money? It showed where their hearts were. And so we want to use what God has given because the fruit of this is amazing, absolutely amazing. I made a list. We bring glory to God. Amen. We cause other people to be thankful. We demonstrate the love of God. We demonstrate and we infuse and inject and are catalytic for the joy of the Lord. Our righteousness is seen, right? The new covenant is demonstrated. We, we transcend ethnic boundaries. Our hands become the hands of God. The body of Christ is in operation in our community. Our affection for God and his people is demonstrated. We bring pleasure to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. It is amazing what God will do through our hands. Let's take a look at a little video. We've looked at some truth today about giving ourselves to the cause of Christ in our land. And while we're sitting here with that, we go all amen on that. We're all in. Yeah, that sounds good. What a great plan. Let's take a look at this little video, and it's from the movie, What About Bob? Do not see patients on vacation. This Ever. video demonstrates this truth perfectly. To, to get on this bus and go back to New York. I can't. I'm totally paralyzed. I'm all locked up. You got yourself here. Barely. Now, getting back will be therapeutic. But can't we just have a little talk? Bob, you are testing my patience. Come on. I've come so far. Bob. I'm baby-stepping. I'm, I'm doing the work. I'm baby-stepping. I'm not a slacker. Check it out. Look at I'm in really bad shape. Come on, please, Bob, please. Bob. Give me, give me, give me. I need, I Bob, need, Bob. I need, I need. Bob. Give me, give okay, me, okay. please. All right, all right, all right. All right, it's 2 o'clock. Okay, so the reason I wanted us to see that is just to arouse within us this idea, I need. And the thing is, no matter what we think we need in a natural sense, our real need is in a spiritual sense. All we really need is more of Jesus. Amen? Let's stand together today. Let's stand. Standing is a position of movement. Remember today's word is about recognizing, number one, I need. You know today, you know what my need is? I need every one of us, to hear this word and be touched in the depths of our heart. Because everything I have, everything I am, my life, gets put in a box and it gets buried. But what I do with everything that God has given me can build the kingdom of God. And I have this need like Bob, I need, I need, I need God. You and I need God to breathe on us so that where we put our treasure is a demonstration of where our hearts are. Jesus flipped the tables. We want to flip the table today of all of our natural currency 
and values in life and turn it into currency in the spirit so that we invest everything into the kingdom of God. Let's have our musicians um, return and we need to pray together and ask God for this. Do you want this today? Do you want to be empowered today to invest your all in the kingdom? I know you do. Like Paul wrote, he says, I know, I know that you are ready. You are ready to give. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Oh, we thank you for our cars. We thank you for our homes. We thank you for our beautiful yards. We thank you for our bank accounts. <laughs> We're just being real before you. Thank you for the giftedness within this flock today. Thank you for people here today, Lord God, who love to pour out within this, this family and people who love today to pour out in this community, people who have sponsored children all over the world, people who have traveled, Lord, to where Woodside is reaching out globally to spend and be spent for your kingdom's sake and to enjoy the thanksgiving and the rejoicing that we see in the lives of others and the great sense of approbation that, that comes from heaven as you approve of who we are and how we have become more like you. You so loved you gave. Fill our hearts, I pray, with vision for how your kingdom can move forward because we have Teflon hands. We're vessels that you can pour into and pour out to others. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.